welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Shannon, welcome to the, sh the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well as well. Just uh, hiding inside from the cold weather. Seriously, I'm over it. <laughs> Counting down the days till April because in my head it's just going to be warmer then. I've just decided. You've decided. <laughs> I am. I'm with you 100%. I really manifest want. some warm weather. <laughs> yes. If that works, if the secret works, it better work for weather. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> As we were just mentioning beforehand, I've heard accounts of another nor'easter coming at us, so that'll be the fourth in March, and so I'm just convinced that, that Mother Nature hates the Northeast right now. A little bit. I mean, she's always hated it a little bit, right. unless you really love cold weather. Yeah, it's exactly. But especially this year, like yeah, especially when we it dips up into the 70s and then goes back down into the <laughs> teens in less than 24 hours. Like it's just. <sighs> A hint, hint of warmth. Like it just gets you excited for summer and spring, and then it all gets taken away, and snow comes. It's also a really good recipe for getting sick. It is. It is. Well, I'd like to hear more about what you're working on these days. So let's, let's start off by saying, how do you describe your work and what it is that you do? Oh, man. That's a... <laughs> Well, how, how do I describe my work? Um, so basically, I've recently made a change to go back to freelancing. Mm -hmm. This is my second time around freelancing. Um, and so I would normally describe my work as writing, but I was trying to make a conscious effort this time not to have that be the case because my actual goal in life is to become a novelist. And I've been noticing that getting paid to write has been sort of inhibiting my progress on that goal. Um, but since that's where my network and my experience lie, I have a few writing clients. But I'm also doing operations for another startup, so I'm sort of like all over the place right now. I have three main clients that I work for, two of which I'm writing for, one of which I do operations. And I'm also working on a novel and a podcast. Wow. You're keeping yeah. really busy. It's, it's ridiculous. I, I literally... When I decided to leave the full-time world again and go freelancing, I was like, okay, I'm only going to do like two clients and then I'm going to spend 25% of my time writing fiction and I'm finally going to make progress towards my goals. And I got really, really lucky that three came along, even though I wasn't exactly looking. Like I was not looking, but they sort of landed as possibilities in my inbox. Um, and as a freelancer, you don't turn down good work. <laughs> so... I'm just like, okay, well, it seems like these things are sort of lining up, so maybe there's a reason for this. So I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I'm not spending much time writing yet, but I'm, I literally rewrite my schedule every two weeks 
to sort of adjust and hope I can make it work. And so I'm on a new iteration that I think is going to work better for me because I put more flexibility into it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so with your schedule then, is it so? Do you have like a is like a, a calendar app you're using? Is it is it that that you are literally writing it down on a piece of paper and <laughs> writing out what your day to day, hour to hour should look like? So I sketch it out because I think better with pen to paper. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I feel like I've landed on something, I'll then put it into my calendar, um, just Google Calendar. But I've also been printing that out because sometimes I just don't go to my calendar. So it's sort of a hybrid mix between using technology so I get the reminders and also just so that I can block times um, and not have meetings happen during those times. But also I need certain things to be in front of me mm-hmm. on paper. Does that help with with motivation in getting certain projects done? Because I know that a, a lot of freelancers in general, sometimes because of the fact that there is not a, an imposed structure on their day, can can get caught up in getting distracted. So is yeah. I guess how do you manage distractions? So I've got some pretty um I have some pretty tight deadlines every week. <laughs> so I don't really have to stay motivated. My biggest problem is getting the work done in the time allotted because what I've been struggling with the past three weeks is just kind of mental tiredness. Like I've been writing professionally for a couple of years and the last job I was at really like the word count, I think I was averaging easily 5,000 words a week, if not more. Oh, wow. um, and so I'm, I'm just tired. So like I know I can get things done in a reasonable time and the schedule's there to remind me of that mm-hmm. and just like harness it a little, but I'm definitely struggling through it. So I'm, part of the re rewriting the schedule is now I'm going to force myself to get out of the house more mm-hmm. um, just because I need, I just need a little more peer pressure around, like, don't go to other websites, just sit there and do the writing. Because <laughs> um, I know I can, and it's topics that I feel very comfortable with, but it's almost harder because I know them so well. So it's just like, oh, you know, I'm going to write another one of these. <laughs> How many times have I written this article? Uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely pushing through that. But, um, yeah, motivation is not as much the issue. I just don't seem to have the same access to my brain. I know when you're, like, mentally tired, you're like, it's just not computing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just frustrating. And then you get frustrated, and then it's it's just this terrible cycle, which is why I constantly change my schedule, because I refuse to let that go on for too long before I'm like, okay, we have to do something about this. Have you found that you're more creative or productive in the morning or in the evening, or does it vary? I'm like, I call it the bookends. I do really well first thing in the morning and late at night, and everything in between is shit. <laughs> <laughs> like once once two o'clock hits or honestly even noon a little bit, uh, nothing creative is happening. Mm-hmm. That's where it's really nice having this mixture of clients because I do all of my operations work after lunch. And then I get the motivation of like, oh, I'm just like plowing through my to do list, getting stuff done. I also keep all of my talking to humans time after that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'll get like a second wind when I should be falling asleep. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> So I'd like to go more into about the topics you're talking about. Are you primarily writing about finance? Do you have other topics? And how did you get into and interested in finance writing? So I am primarily writing about finance. I would like to be writing about other topics. (laughs) (laughs) In my perfect world, I'd probably be doing more writing about career, 
relationships, psychology. I'm really interested in like the problems and situations that people go through every day and optimizing productivity. I have a lot of fun writing about um, and I've done that in the past. <clears throat> I got into personal finance, though. Actually, it's really funny. Um, I was working at a bank after college because I couldn't get a job anywhere else because I come from a relatively small city. Mm-hmm. So all of those English majors graduating were trying to go for the one internship at the newspaper, you know. Uh, <laughs> so instead, I worked at the bank across the street from the newspaper and surreptitiously handed my resume over when reporters are coming. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was worth a shot, though. I was like, oh, hey, I read your column on this thing. No. Yeah. That's- so, yeah, <laughs> it was worth a try. Yeah. Um, but I worked there for a while and really just trying to get out of Ohio. Uh, I always wanted to move to either New York or California or both. And I finally moved to New York, got a whatever job, just working on a novel at night. And then I started dating a guy who was an engineer. Mm-hmm. And he met with a company called Ready for Zero, which is a debt payoff app to work for them, but he didn't want to write in the language they were interested in. And so he goes, well, my girlfriend is a writer and she used to work at a bank, so you guys should just hire her instead. Hmm. And I was like, uh, I, at that time, I didn't even know what a blog was. <laughs> so I was like, I can't do that. Like, I write essays, I write papers. And he was just like, no, you're doing it. And so they hired me as a freelancer doing like one or two posts a month. And I learned through that process how to write blog posts, which was painful coming from a literature background. Um, and then I couldn't take New York anymore. decided I wanted to move to San Francisco, convinced him. And right around that time, Ready for Zero had an internship opening up. And so they're like, hey, do you want to apply for an internship with us? And I was just like, yes, <laughs> please. And they were just such great people. So I was like, I don't know. I mean, I'll pour your coffee. I just want to get in the room, honestly. And I ended up getting the internship and eventually got hired full time. And that's literally where I cut my teeth on content strategy, community building and all the stuff that I do now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. When you are writing a post, what is because you mentioned the difference between blog writing and then what you're doing in the literary world. So what is the main key difference to writing a blog that people actually want to read versus, you know, what you were doing on the literary side? It's funny. I'm like, what do you do on the literary side anymore? I don't even know. Um, <laughs> I think the key is clarity. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like now that now that I've had people ask me to read sort of like letters of intent for grad school and things like that, I, I go blogger on them and I'm like, what are you trying to say here? <laughs> it's all like obfuscated to make you sound smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I couldn't even tell you. I probably wouldn't even be able to write an essay now because now I'm like, tell a story to sort of get people involved because I end up writing about a lot of dry subject matter. So I tell a story to sort of make it interesting Mm -hmm. and also relatable because I think people will look at money and think it's only a problem when it's a problem and every other time it doesn't relate. So I always try to tell a story to reel them in and be like, I I go for what I call the head nod. You know, I want you having, I want you having these moments where you're reading the intro and you're going like, yes, oh my God, this happens to me all the time. And then I go from there and then I kind of like swoop in with like, and here's what I've done about it. Or here's like what some experts say to do about it, depending on who I'm writing for. Mm -hmm. And then try to give some advice without saying, you know, this is the top 10 things to do this thing. But just more like try this. Here's why. Um, But you're trying to solve a problem. Whenever I do have writer's block, I remind myself if a headline is a question, the article or blog post should just answer the question. And that's it. Like it should be simple and clear and interesting. And anything other than that is not good enough. And on top of that, it should also take the subject matter seriously. 
One thing that bothers me about some content is that it glosses over a lot of details that people need. And you'll read, I don't know, you probably have this moment where you've read a top 10 list or whatever, and you've been like, cool, how do I do any of that? Or you haven't even talked about all these things that happened before that. Right. So I try to anticipate, and I guess this actually relates to being an English major, I try to anticipate a reader's questions and address them before I turn in the paper, so to speak. You know, I want to make sure it covers all the bases mm-hmm. um, without without getting too in, in the weeds, I guess. Mm-hmm. When you're writing blog posts for the various sites, are there editors you work with or are you your own editor? So the first time I was freelancing, I had a lot of small businesses that I was working for and I was actually doing their entire content strategy. So I didn't have an editor. Mm -hmm. Now I actually, well, one, I have an editor and at the other one, I'm I'm working for another sort of small business type. Um, So they're sort of editing, but mostly they're just saying, I like when you do this. I don't like when you do that. So not exactly line edits. Right. But. Do you do you find that helpful? Is that improved your writing or is that just mostly focused on the particular message of that client? So for that client, it's important because we're, we're actually I've been brought on board to experiment with a new type of content for them that they have never done. Mm-hmm. So it is important because it, I need to sort of see how close or far I am to what they're envisioning that they're not necessarily able to show me exactly. Um. I like, you know, I like when there's a good editor. I like when there's an editor that's going to help your work be better and clearer and, and pick you up where you messed, where you maybe fell short. Mm-hmm. Um, but my experience with editors in the past has been a little painful. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of just like edits that relate more to how they would write it mm-hmm. and not necessarily like I think an editor's job is to say you're not answering the question or this doesn't make sense or you have these grammatical errors. But I've been getting a lot of the, you know, well, you know, I deleted five of these paragraphs because I wouldn't write it that way. Or I reformatted the whole thing because I wouldn't write it that way. It's like, well, that's not editing. <laughs> you know, that's it's the opposite of editing, actually. Yeah. Have you noticed your writing style changing and evolving as your freelance career has evolved? And do you see that moving into what you're doing with Uh, your new focus as a novelist? So I'm actually in the process right now of trying to find my voice again. So the sort of, the sort of shit of getting paid to write full time is that typically the businesses that pay for that have a formula in mind and you don't write the way they're not bringing you on for your voice, so to speak. They're just saying, Hey, you're like a halfway decent writer, write to this formula. And so I've lost my voice (laughs) And I'm trying to find it again. And what I'm hoping, actually, is that taking chances with fiction will help me sort of navigate back to, like, who I am as a writer mm-hmm. and be able to incorporate that back into my writing as a professional writer. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm trying to learn to trust myself again. I'm trying to find those instincts. I, I feel like a cat that lost its whiskers. I can't <laughs> I can't navigate anymore. Like, I don't even know what's good or what's not. Like, it just it's going to take some time, I think, to yeah. get there. So that that kind of brings up an interesting, I guess, connection to one thing I wanted to ask you about, which is in in May of 2016, you wrote an interesting uh, piece about, are you a real artist if you have a day job? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, I remember writing that one. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay, because it it does bring up an interesting point. And I know there's a lot of artists who do struggle with that. And, And I think yours, especially with what you just said a minute ago, maybe has an interesting take on that is 
is so do you, do you feel like it's important to have a separate day job that allows you freedom as an artist but has your day job taken away from your art yes 100 <laughs> percent. no i mean uh yeah my day job yeah it ruined me a little um i'm not gonna i'm 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 in a healing stage right now so you're talking to someone post not post breakup because i walked away i'm me initiating the breakup but like yeah. me saying you are not good for me mm-hmm. even though on paper you're so good you know that's kind of but i'm still i'm still smarting from the burns a little but um okay. i don't think I, listen i just think you have to be able to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you need to feed yourself and sort of think about things like retirement. Cause eventually, even if you don't think you'll ever retire, people will say you're too old to work and that's just reality. Mm-hmm. So you need to get yourself covered with for now, but with mind towards the future, how you do that. I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, I went for the salaried position as a reaction, mm-hmm. the first time, the first salary position I have was, I think I must have had that when I wrote that post. I wasn't writing full time, so it was a little better. I was actually managing content, mm-hmm. um, but it was just an offer I couldn't refuse. Like it was just re- best pay I've ever had, best title I've ever been given. So I'm like, well, obviously you take that. It ended up being a terrible poisonous situation. And then the next job was just a reaction to that, which is, okay, maybe I just don't want to lead things. I'll just write and mm-hmm. I will do my thing. Also wasn't good for me. It was like fine, for, it was fine for someone else, not for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I'm coming off of two years of like, what the heck have I been doing? Um, but for me at this point, I would say I would like to make my money not writing so that I have the mental energy left for my own writing. But then on the flip side, mm-hmm. one of my clients, the one that we're sort of experimenting with content, styles and different types they're stretching me in ways that i haven't been stretched before and i'm finding myself for the first time in a long time proud of what i'm writing so i think there has to be for me especially i need a little bit of a forcing function Mm -hmm. um and so i think there can be a balance i think the only way to answer that question is to (laughs) i'm all about iteration look at your own life and whatever your day job or not is if your current situation is taking away from your art, then maybe you have to reevaluate your current situation. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean anything. Like sometimes it's getting a job so that you don't have to worry about bills. Like the first job I had in New York was a strict nine to five and I hated it. I hated it so bad. I had to wear black pants. I had to go down to wall street. I had to like, you know, I had to be a proper adult uh-huh. <laughs> and I didn't feel like myself ever, but I also never worked late. I never brought work home. It was great for starting mm-hmm a fiction writing career. But eventually I just, I was like, I'm, I'm dying on the inside. I can't do this. So, and that was actually the moment that that sort of post I wrote became a thing because in my head, because somebody had lectured me, a barista at a coffee shop that I went to was saying, I'm not an artist because I have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, F you dude, I'm here every day before and after work writing a novel. And in that three year period, I wrote two novels. One was completely awful the second one, not so awful. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, there's progress here. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where the origination of that post came because it's like we can judge ourselves. And he even said, like, unless you're living in Brooklyn and eating peanut butter and jelly, you're just not really trying hard enough. And I'm like, I may not be living in Brooklyn, but I'm eating peanut butter and jelly because I have student loans. Like, <laughs> and I need health insurance. And my parents cannot help me. Like, I'm in a situation where if I don't take care of my damn self, I end up back in Ohio. So 
I'm doing what I have to do. Yeah. So I think it's how you have to look at your life. What do you need to do to set yourself up for success? And if it's not working, consider other options. That's as straightforward as I can answer that question. Mm-hmm. So with your your career writing in in finance, obviously you spend a lot of time writing more toward, I guess, the arts and finance. What are some obvious things that you're noticing that people do that's a really easy thing to correct and fix with regard cool. to their, their finance? Oh, boy. So many things. I mean, <laughs> write a budget, dude. <laughs> Like, just write a budget. I mean, I know it's boring. I know it sounds like something your grandma would do. Uh, just like I'm writing the calendar out to sort of prove to myself that I have the time that I need when I on- honestly don't ever feel like I do. The mm-hmm. calendar is like, you do. If you follow these constraints, then you have all the time in the world. And what the calendar does is it frees me. Instead of making me feel like I'm stuck in this box, it's showing me, ah, you can get all of this done with time to spare. And that's exactly what a budget can do for you. Mm-hmm. You will look at your money without a budget and be like, man, I ain't got enough. Like, it's no matter how much money you make, because we will spend what we make, especially when we're busy. You know, you're ordering lunch out, you're doing all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they add up. I can't tell you how many months you can look back and say, where'd all my money go? Before you realize, you know, a budget is what it is. So by doing that, you actually can say, like, you can see what's in front of you and you can say, oh, so this is how much I could have if I paid a little bit more attention. And so, you you know, just start with the budget as a baseline. Like, where are you with your money? And do you have extra? What do you want to do with that? (laughs) You know, like you should think about retirement. Again, it's a really boring topic. And I'm not talking about so you can cruise around the world. And do whatever your parents are doing, because it's not, probably not what our generation's ever going to want. We want to do it now. But we have to think about that. You don't want to end up when you're 60 and you've been aged out of your career and you, you have no money left. So it's just like there are things you have to start thinking about, even if they're boring. And it's just going to make you feel better. <laughs> it's just going to make you feel more in control of your life. And it's just I think another thing is when you talk about money, understand it's not about afford or not afford it's not i mean there are situations that are really tight where that's about i'm talking about people who are you know relatively comfortable mm-hmm. um and there are it's not about if only i have more money these things would happen you need to be able to look at your money and say where do i want this money to go you vote with your dollars mm-hmm. what do i value and am i if i look back am i happy about the amount of money that i spent on xyz thing does that bother me or do i like that okay well if i like that Is there something else that I don't like? And can I divert more money to this thing that I like or to something else? And so you just got to pay attention. It's just really easy, especially with student loans. You might want to shove your head right in the sand and pretend like (laughs) these things never happened. But honestly, you'll feel better when you look at your money. And nine times, again, if you're in a fairly comfortable situation, you're probably going to realize you can do better than you think. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about people who are working two, two jobs just to make rent. I'm talking about people who are fairly comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people just don't pay attention or they focus on the wrong things, on the wrong details. Like I have a lot of people who come up to me and say, uh, I want to buy a house or I'm thinking about buying a car and I'm really worried about my credit score. So like, should I not sign up for this credit card right now? And I'm just like that, that hit that you're worried about will take like five points off of your score, a score that goes up to, you know, over 800. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but did you miss any payments? Because that's 30% of your score. <laughs> so I'll see a lot of situations where people are like, they're optimizing for the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like finance is really simple. Save some money, spend less than you earn, pay all your bills on time. That's it. This is pretty straightforward. Yeah. And then eventually you'll have to think about growing money because of inflation. You know, your savings account isn't going to keep up. But there are even easy ways to do that. Thanks to like Betterment, Wealthfront, Acorns. God, there's so many of these sites. Aspiration. You can actually automate a savings into an investment account. You can have it pull out $25 a month out of your checking account. You can tell it the, the tell it. You can click on the level of risk you feel comfortable with and let it do its own magic. Mm-hmm. So this stuff is out there now. You don't have to talk to people who are going to take a lot of money from you. There are tools that you can use to help you just like get started and get established. And then as you get more comfortable and you feel better about things, you can grow your knowledge then. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to do it all overnight. Mm-hmm. So the sites you just mentioned, I've actually used two out of the three of those. Is there one particular, so either Wealthfront or Betterment or Acorns, of those three, is there one that you like more than the others because of ease or... Do you are they all about the same in your book? Um, I haven't used all of them, so I'm not sure. I mean, Acorns is a cool concept, right? Because it'll put mm-hmm. more into your savings for you. It's like kind of rounding up your change, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I like Betterment because I just started with them. Um, I don't do a lot of that myself yet because I'm still reaching towards other financial goals, but I still have like a 401k and like IRA and stuff like that mm-hmm. and other places. Um, actually, I need to get on that. I need to start focusing on that myself. Um, yeah. Uh, there's another one that I think is really cool called Aspiration that I haven't been able to test, mm-hmm. but I actually freelanced for them a long time ago, and I can just say they're really good people, and they donate to charity some percentage of what you put in your thing. So that's pretty oh, cool. I like the cool. idea of that. Yeah. Um, and it, you pay them whatever fee you want. I, it was like that a few years ago. I don't I mean maybe they've changed, but the last time I checked, it was literally like, "Hey, is your is your account doing well? Throw us a fee if you feel like it." Oh wow! And it's That's just they they believe that you know it's sort of the honor system. If you're doing well, you'll help you'll help us stay alive. Yeah. But I don't again. I don't know if it's still like that. But the last time I checked, that's what they were doing. Okay. Is this is this aspiration.com? Uh, I think. Okay. Well, I'm just I clicked on a site aspiration.com that says do well, do good. Yes, that's okay. the one. All right, I will look so at. I, w- I would probably pick time. them when I start getting started, not because they're a better platform than Betterment. I mean, Betterment's the name in the industry, mm-hmm. um, but I just like the idea of having some extra positive effects from whatever I'm doing. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned briefly about student loans. Are there some is there advice that's just terrible that constantly gets passed around in the industry? Oh, oh yes. Okay, so oh, what, can, yeah. what, what is some of that terrible advice, and what would you say people should do instead? I don't think this one. I mean, I'm going to give you a couple here. Okay. One, I don't think it's passed around in the industry, but this is a crazy story that I have to share. Okay. I have a friend who comes from a very wealthy part of the country. And her family's very wealthy, but she's paying her own way. Um, and she has a, a load of student loan debt. She went to law school, so she's yep. really in deep. Yep. Um, her father's golfing buddy at his country club decided to tell her father that she should default on her student loans so that she can negotiate and not pay the whole price in full. Granted, she probably figures that's my dad and his friends, and they have a lot of money, so I guess I'll do what they say. Mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible, horrible advice. <laughs> Never, ever, ever default on your student loans on purpose. 
You cannot declare bankruptcy on your student loans unless very extreme situations where you can prove financial hardship. It's mm-hmm. damn near impossible to do. And even then, probably only private student loans, but even then, don't consider it an option. So horrible advice, completely wrecked her credit score. And you know what? She's still going to have to pay them back. Mm-hmm. So don't ever default on purpose. And also don't ignore your student loans or don't. I've heard a lot of people say, well, like I'm, I haven't made payments in a while, but it's like make some payments when I can. I just don't have any money. And like, I need to pay for other things first. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying anyone should go into bankruptcy here, but if it got that bad, you can declare bankruptcy on a home, a car and credit card debt. You cannot declare it on student loans. So, you know, pay that bill. <laughs> it sucks. And if you have federal student loans, there are programs to help you. You can have income-driven repayment programs where the payment is lowered to a percentage of your income. Mm-hmm. That will not help you get out of debt faster. It will put you in debt for longer, but unless you get them forgiven, but that's, you know, forever away. Um, but it will give you breathing room if you honest to God need it. So that was bad advice not in the industry. Um I think the industry doesn't, I think the industry gives good advice. I think it's just confusing because there's a lot going on in this topic. You know, there, for one thing, I think there's like, I can't remember now because it's been all three months that I've already forgotten. I think there are six income driven repayment plans. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> and so it's hard to know which one you qualify for and how it works. So anyone listening, if you're curious, just go to federalstudentaid.gov. It's all outlined. It's really great. It's, honestly, that's the website I used in most of my research. It's so well done. Okay. Um, but yeah, so so that. I guess the only other thing, I don't know if this is advice, but you'll probably see a lot of people or companies pushing people towards private student loans if they mm-hmm. need to get covered because federal student loans aren't enough. Mm-hmm. I think they could be a good tool if you know what you're getting into. I personally find them terrifying. Again, can't really declare bankruptcy on it. Mm-hmm. If you're getting a variable rate, you don't know what kind of interest rate you're going to have later. So that's terrifying. <laughs> 10 years from now, your 2% interest rate can be 10%. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, payments that you were keeping up with, you can't afford anymore. So I just, I get it if you need to finish school and you have no other options, but I would really, really be careful with private student loans. And they're, they're just not regulated the same way as federal student loans are. There's no one, you know, they all, all the websites will say they offer hardship deferment, these other types of things. It's up to them if they do or not. And it's up to them who they give it to. Mm-hmm. So that's just scary. Whereas with federal student loans, you know, there are baselines. They're created. If you, you know, income driven payment plans, each one is different, but it is down to a certain percentage of your income. They have these hard and fast numbers that you can rely on. So I would I would probably stay a little bit away from private student loans unless you really are desperate. Mm-hmm. So with what's happening right now in, in, let's say, federal student loans, there was a program which I, I believe the Trump administration either has abolished or is abolishing, and that's the – if you work for a, a – Yes. It's like a, a nonprofit public or a college. Public service, loan forgiveness. Yes. yes, public service. So what's what's your take on, on that and what's happening right now with that? And is that something that people who were planning on like getting rid of some of their loans through that should be nervous about and just give up on? Or, or what's happening with that? <sighs> I think they're already nervous about it. Um, I don't know the latest. Honestly, my my sort of healing has been also trying to stay away from media a little bit because <laughs> when you work in the media, you have yeah. no escape. And my anxiety level was 
through the roof. <laughs> um, so I don't know the current update. I know Student Loan Hero, though, is always – so that is actually a site you can regularly go to to check because they will publish an article the day an update comes out because they're trying to stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the last I checked, people weren't going to get their forgiveness, but it wasn't set in stone. Okay. And here's the thing about these types of programs. I feel the worst for people who opted for that career path because of the forgiveness plan, mm-hmm. because they've made 10 years of a decision that might backfire because now they've had 10 years of earning less money and now the loans won't be forgiven. Mm-hmm. So I think anyone looking at that in the future, just go for the career you want to go for and see if there are options that help. Don't plan because a law can change at any time. Literally. So like even Trump can change his mind on it if he wants to. So to say what we know will happen in the future, who knows? Mm-hmm. There's no telling. It's kind of like when people buy a house because of, you know, oh, there's really good tax laws right now for homeowners. And I'm like, but you signed a 30 year mortgage. Mm-hmm. What happens if that law doesn't exist in 10 years? Can you afford your house anymore? Did you think about that? <laughs> you know what I mean? um, so anyone currently in the situation, pay a lot of attention and do whatever trusted sites like Student Loan Hero are telling you to do, whether it's like call people to ask for progress, check back on federal student aid, whatever it is. Just stay on top of it and don't don't just give up. But there really is no telling where that's going to go. So definitely for future students, don't don't change your whole career for possible student loan forgiveness, no matter what the laws are today. Mm -hmm. In your own career and and journey, what has been the best investment you've ever made? (laughs) An internship at Ready for Zero. Uh, It was really funny because. I don't remember how old I was. I think I was 28 or something fairly late in your career to take an internship. And I was also just on a personal note. I was, I just moved across country with this guy I was dating, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I knew, I mean, obviously I knew we were going, we are married now. Uh, I kind of knew that was where it was going. It's the beauty of late twenties. You start to really recognize what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was moving anyway. I was like, I got to get out of New York. But but we were living together. And I always said I would split everything 50-50 unless I'm married because I don't want to be beholden to a man. Sorry. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just like how I I wanted it to be equal. Mm -hmm. And this was super challenging because the internship paid well. It paid $20 an hour, which is good for an internship. But it was in San Francisco, which means I made no money. (laughs) So my husband now, boyfriend at the time, was like, you know, I was thinking like, I really love these guys and I really want to work for them, but I should probably just get a proper full-time job. And he was like, this is one of those like once in a lifetime opportunities to get in as an early stage startup. You already know you like the people in the mission. Let me split rent with you differently. Let's do 75, 25. And I was just like, no, <laughs> I cannot. Um, we ended up we ended up making a deal, I think, where he paid for like all of the groceries. We didn't split groceries, and then I was able to scrape together the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, best thing I've ever done because literally my career would not be where it is if it wasn't for Ready for Zero. It was an internship that I was able to join a small team. Mm-hmm. I had to do a lot of stuff. I was managing customer service. I was helping grow their audience. I was writing. None of these things I knew what the heck I was doing, but they were small enough to where they're like, we think you're smart. Just go. Yeah. And it was awfully painful. Like the first six months I cried at least once a week on my way home. And I'd go to my husband now and say, you know, boyfriend, then I'd say, I just can't do this. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm so used to having like people telling me how to do things. And they're just they're looking to me to figure it out. Like I should just get a job. And he just was like, no, <laughs> like you can't. <laughs> um, and then there was this really wonderful moment that I'll never forget. 
where I had this idea, but I had no research to prove that it was a good idea. I was just like, I just feel like I know our audience now. I've been talking to them every week. I feel like it's a good idea. I brought it to the CEO and I said, I want to try this. And I'm waiting for him to be like, how much do you think it will earn? And like all those questions, right? The CEO questions. And he's like, I love that idea. He's like, you can get like the team to be on board though. And I was like, well, I'd already kind of talked to a designer about it on the team. And I already talked to an engineer just because I wanted to test out the idea. Mm -hmm. And they were on board. And he's like, oh, well, what are we having this conversation for if they've already agreed to do it? I was like, well, I want your green light. Like, I'm just going to do it. And he's just like, so do it. And I had this moment where I was like, what if it doesn't work? (laughs) And he's like, I don't understand what's happening. He's like, do you want to do this? (laughs) He's like, if it doesn't work, I mean, stop doing it. Mm -hmm. And I walked out of that room and it was like, it was like there was a dam between my brain and this water, this body of water of creativity. And he broke the dam with that comment because he gave me permission to try something that might fail. Mm -hmm. And ever since that day, that waterfall is constantly flowing. Like I can't keep up with my own creative creativity anymore. And I've spent most of my life wishing I were more creative, feeling like I'm too analytical. I'm too whatever. This is why I majored in English literature, not creative writing. Mm-hmm. So getting permission to fail, being put in the position where I could just try a thing and measure it and see what happens literally changed my life. I'm not even the same person. Like I literally changed as a human. And it all happened because I took an internship at 28, which sounds like a terrible idea. So for the right opportunity, sometimes I think it makes sense to start over again or to even go backwards and kind of check your ego and be like, do I want to wake up and be with these people and do this work? If the answer is yes, it's a very easy decision. Mm -hmm. That brings up an interesting question then. How do you, in instances like that, how do you approach fear and how do you push past those? Because I'm sure that instance with deciding to go take an internship at 28 wasn't the first time that you've kind of struggled with a decision and probably not the last time since then. So how, how do you think about those instances where you're fearful and how do you push past that? I look back and I see where it worked and I, I understand now that I'm going to be 35 this year. So I've been through a bunch, like you just said. And so I can now tell very easily that every decision I've made out of fear say to not do something Mm -hmm. has gotten me nowhere. And every decision I made for something I really wanted, despite a fear, despite fear has gotten me to heights that I've, I've never thought I never thought I'd be sitting here in New York city talking about a freelance writing career or working on a novel. Like these are things I could barely imagine for myself. And so if I'm really scared to do something, there's a part of me that thinks, Oh, you probably have to do it then. And that doesn't make it easier to do, but that's just understanding. Like if you're scared, (laughs) there could be a huge amount of growth and another leap. Because if I look back at my life, that's what it's done. All this moving to New York, moving to California, getting into startups, writing a novel, all these things were scary. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you any of the easy things I did that worked out well because none of them did. (laughs) I No, actually, I can. Well, they didn't work out well. The two two jobs in a row the past two years, they were really easy to take. Mm -hmm. And I was miserable. And I'm now in a healing phase. And I'm like re trying to recapture that person who, you know, a few years ago had that dam broken down. I'm trying to get back to who that person is because the decisions I made because I was scared put my brain back into a cage. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy. And I just I try to just, you know, sometimes I just have a, a piss fight with fear in my head. And I'm like, no, you will not control my life. 
And then sometimes it's like, yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> and every day you just have to go back and push forward. But the, at least knowing, like, if I look at, if history predicts the future, history tells me doing scary things has worked really well for me. Mm-hmm. But I always have some kind of, like, cautious stuff in there too i'm not i'm not giving up everything here you know like i'm very conservative about money for example right to look at all of that from different angles requires a a certain level of self-awareness have you developed that through like um you know mentors or books or other i guess ways that have helped you you know be able to look at what is you're doing objectively and and look at fear that way yeah i mean I think I think meeting my husband was one of the first he was probably the first mentor I had. And he wasn't trying to be a mentor. He just had gone through everything I went through earlier than I did. So he could see it. He remembered it. Um, so he helped me a lot. And I, I just ask, you know, I will say, like, is this unreasonable or is this whatever? Like, I, I check my behavior with people I trust a lot. And since I met him, I then had this great career change. And then I also I made different kinds of friends. And now I have friends that, you know, we're not going out drinking every weekend necessarily. Like they're not like your fun party friends, but that's not really what I want in life now. Mm-hmm. But I have friends who I can say, hey, I literally texted a friend this week and I said, I'm I'm ready to flip my desk. I'm so mad at this thing that's happening. Like I'm just like, oh, I was like, there's something wrong with me, right? Like to be this mad. And I wanted it. I wanted her to tell me if I was out of line. She didn't. She actually agreed with me, which I was completely shocked about. <laughs> But I do I do keep people in my life who will be honest with me and who, you know, not in a mean way, but be like, yeah, you know, you could chill on that a little. In fact, behind me, you can't tell because we're on a podcast. I have a poster that literally says it's not a poster. It's a very beautifully designed thing um, that says chill the fuck out. (laughs) (laughs) Designed by a blogger friend in Canada that I'm friends with from the Internet and we hang out whenever we're in the same town. And she was like, your anxiety is intense like you need to chill the fuck out and then all of a sudden this showed up on my doorstep (laughs) so i think meeting the kind of friends who aren't going to give me advice based on what they would do but because they know what i want in life and what kind of person i want to be and then they'll check their advice against that before they talk to me and being able to trust them and say hey i'm going through this thing and i'm not sure if i'm reacting the way i supposedly should based on what i want and that's helped a lot. Like, if you want to have self-awareness, you need people in your life who are going to tell you how you, when you're acting a fool sometimes. Mm-hmm. With how your career has evolved and changed, how do you look at setting goals for yourself? Like, do you are you someone who has a 10-year plan, or have you decided that that's not necessary and kind of reevaluate things on a, a yearly or you know five-year basis? I am too too startupy of a person to think in 10 years. <laughs> I'm like, if you give yourself 10 years, you'll take nine and a half uh-huh. uh, or nine and a half is when you'll start. Um, I think, though, a lot of it has become a process of elimination. It's like, OK, I was really happy when I was doing this, but that's not available. So what if I do this? And OK, so that part didn't work and this part didn't work. And like, even to where I am now, like I really love freelancing, but I don't think I want to be writing for other people that much anymore. I mean, I, for the right client, it works out, but for some it doesn't. And so it's all sort of finding those little bits and pieces that are working and trying to cultivate that life. Mm-hmm. I am trying to balance my long-term goals. Like eventually I hope that I'm only making money off of writing novels. That would be amazing. And maybe mentoring creatives, but like, that's it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to make that happen other than to just keep writing 
books until they get published. Um, so my immediate plan now is like, I need, I need another draft of my book by the time I turn 35. Cause I just need a deadline of some sort. Mm-hmm. And so I figure what the hell, <laughs> let's just pick that one. <laughs> Um, but other than that, short of that, I try to look life at life holistically and say, listen, am I happy to wake up and do what I'm doing? Am I, am I feeling good and content about where my life is? Mm-hmm. Because I think when you're ambitious, it can be hard to live in the moment and really enjoy the moment while still you're always ambitious people. You're always going to be a little unsatisfied because it's the very definition of ambition, right? Like if you're satisfied, you're not going to strive. You're going to stay right where you are. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to make sure that stays at a healthy level and that I can look around me and think, this is great. I'm really happy with where I am, but here's where I hope to go next. But I, other than like the kind of deadlines you need just to make sure you do it, I try not to think in terms of dates. Mm-hmm. With everything that you've done and seen in your life, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Um, the best advice I've ever received Oh, <laughs> well, it's not really advice, but it was a good kick in the butt that mm-hmm. my mom gave me. So I curse a lot. Obviously, I've done it a few times. Uh, my mom doesn't do it as much. She's a little more proper. Um, <laughs> one day I used to call her on the way home from work when I had that job on Wall Street. So I had about a 15 minute walk from the subway and I would call her then. And I think one day we were on the phone and I was just saying, like, I don't know, maybe I should get um, maybe I should get a nonprofit management master's degree, or maybe I should do this, or maybe I should do that. I just, I was unhappy, you know? And she said something that was shocking. She's like, Shannon, when are you going to fucking realize that you're a writer? Why are you trying to do anything other than that? And I was just like, did my mom just drop the F-bomb at me? My mom <laughs> hates when I say that word. <laughs> She's still, until I'm, you know, 60, she'll probably still smack me in the head every time I say it. And I was just like, oh, Right. <laughs> and I was like, there was nothing else to say. So I'm like, that is, yes, you are right. So it was just having somebody be like, you are optimizing for the wrong thing because you're scared to do the thing you really want. I'm like, yes, that is true. <laughs> Good kick in the butt. You know, everyone yeah. wants you your mom to smack you upside the head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's what moms are good for. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, Shannon, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to read more about your work and see more about what you're working on, what is the best place they can do that? Um, so basically Twitter, I guess. I'm at Shannon McNay at Twitter. I also have a website, ShannonMcNay.com. I have an upcoming podcast called Messy Notes, but mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to get that URL yet because we haven't checked. <laughs> Maybe someday at MessyNotes.com. I don't know. <laughs> but until then, Twitter and my website. <laughs> You might want to get on that. And uh, yeah. (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's so fun. Of course. It's my pleasure. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.